Welcome back to the Let's Do Inc. podcast. This is episode 230 with our friend Nathan Lotka. Nick, what's up, man? Good to hear from you again. How's it going? I'm doing well. Ari, right, how are you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? Oh, I'm... I know how you're doing now. Hey, yo. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> so, uh, Nathan, we got a lot of fun things to talk about with you. For those who don't know about Hey, yo, can you tell us about it? Yeah, so so Hey was a drag and drop Facebook platform that I built. It was my first kind of software as a service business. Um, and the quick story behind it is at 19, I was in architecture school at Virginia Tech. Nobody was hiring architects. I got super insecure. I went back to my dorm room, started calling people online and pre-selling a $700 Facebook fan page tabs. I sold about 100 of them over a seven-month period and then grew that into a drag-and-drop platform and built it to about 30 grand in monthly recurring revenue, raised 550k on a convertible note. Yeah, your typical terms, you know, 25% discount, 8% interest, 5 million cap. And then continued to build the business to about 100 grand in monthly recurring revenue. And in March of 20. 13, I believe it was, we raised 2 million bucks in our series A, which was, you know, 8 million pre-money, you know, you know, 10 million post-money valuation and uh, just sold that business in February here of 2016. So I'm now 26 and I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. I don't believe that though. You've got a pretty good plan. You don't seem to do anything <laughs> by accident. Yeah. Do you want to share with the audience what you have uh, planned for your future? I mean, when we met a few months ago, it was a pretty aggressive, uh, one of your plan. How would you just wait, Nick? How would you describe it? This is a test of how well I communicated it. Aggressive would be if I had to say one in one word. It's an aggressive goal uh, that you have. I mean, my, my my question would just be: I'm so I was surprised you haven't picked out who your partner is going to be, who your running mate is going to be in 2040. Yeah, 2036. That'll be the year I'm I'm, I'm actually eligible age wise. But no, I. Uh, I just look, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening in politics. I actually don't like politics that much. I think you need more common sense. So I do. I plan to run for president in 2036. We're going to win. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be really something special. So that's 2036. But before that, you know, I'm 26 now. I want to I want to take a company public before I turn 30. There's a few ideas I'm working on right now that are growing fairly rapidly. Um, and then look, I'm a hardcore capitalist. I get hit by all these charities all the time. And I tell them like, I'm not interested in donating. I don't like donating. I don't like philanthropy. Like I like creating jobs and they go, you're a whole work human. And I say, no, I'm a capitalist. And so I love making money. I'd love to be a billionaire by the time I turn 35. And, uh, you really can plan that kind of stuff. You just have to knock it down to a day by day level and start building the blocks. Also, you're, you're forgetting to mention your aspirations for hedge funds. Yeah, hedge funds is something I think I'm probably going to do after presidency. So, so hedge funds are an interesting model. And just first off, when you look at just wealth creation vehicles in the past, you know, 10, 20 years, the, the people that have grown their wealth the quickest have been hedge fund folks because they're getting two and 22% is just a fee they take on their $100 million fund, whether they make money or lose it. And then 20% is what they're taking in kind of profit and profit sharing with their LPs. So hedge funds are very interesting. And ultimately, the reason I say that is, look, I'm bad at a lot of stuff, but one of the things I think I'm really, really good at, maybe top 0.1% of in terms of 26-year-olds is just money management and understanding money in general. And so I think I would be, you know, and I'm buying companies right now at a kind of a smaller scale than, you know, I'm doing $100 million deals, but I'm buying companies to kind of understand how to maximize efficiencies in those companies. And I think that'll serve me well uh, when I go out and I try and build the world's largest hedge fund by the time I'm like about 45 or so, which would need to be about $100 billion in assets under management. Uh, if you're 45, I mean, when you when you're planning on running for president in 2036, right? So 2036, but, yeah. But then you're going to be 46, so yeah. it would have to be after 45, then, right? If you want, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. 
I'm just going to do what Hillary does. Take money while I run for president. Is that, no, just kidding. That was bad. <laughs> I'm actually no political endorsement one way or the other. I'm just observing. But no, I think, um, I think the, I'll figure out a way, Nick, to separate those things. What's important that I'm doing now is I'm putting all these things on the board, right? And what's happening is as I articulate these goals, the world is coming back at me with resources. You know, people are listening right now. Maybe you have a listener who was an ex-hedge fund manager. That person is, gonna, is, is jumping up and down. I know they're going to call me. And before you know it, they're actually going to help me make that thing happen. So by putting these bold, audacious things out there, I'm basically saying, world, help me get there. And so timing may vary by a couple of years, but, uh, but it's important to communicate these things. Well, now, so again, you know, as I said, I, don't, I, I haven't seen you do anything by accident. Even in your strategy for launching a podcast, the number one, which you had a plan and you did it. You know, do you have an approach in general that you take when you look at these problems or these challenges that helps you break them down? So I think, I think what's, so we always have this debate kind of with, with friends when I'm coffee and I'm curious your guys' opinion. Actually, yeah. All right. So if I had to ask you a question, if you, if you could only be one of these two things, which would you choose? If you could be a, uh, a generalist, right. But, but a fantastic leader or a specialist, the best in the world at one thing, what would you choose? Probably be a specialist. And what would you choose, Nick? See, it's, and I don't mean to sound like weird or anything, like, I would say specialist, but I think that as I've gotten older, I've realized like I was always like really good at math and, you know, always came, you know, got good grades, came, you know, got good scores. But what I've realized as I've gotten older is even though I'm probably in the top point, whatever percent in math, I'm not top 10 in the world in math. And my, my real added value is that I can understand complex, complex things, but also understand the business side of things. So in a sense, my, what I'm realizing my strength is what most would say is I'm a specialist because, you know, I'm math, I'm math. Actually, it's more general because I can communicate between, you know, complex technical things and the real world. I think unless someone's listening right now and they feel like they have a, and you can figure this out. If you don't think you have a a great chance at being top 100 in any specific thing in the world, whether that's calculus or selling on Amazon or whatever the hell you want to be top 100 in it, for me, I am much more interested in understanding and, and motivating specialists as the generalist. And, and then what I can do is I, if I just keep my calendar blank, which by the way, wealthy people, they all have blank calendars, keep my calendar blank. And then I can kind of let my mind jump into conversations with all these specialists. And I slowly then start to learn it's the best education. So the re- Ari, going back to your question, go ahead, Nick, sorry. Well, I don't know if there's really like for me, like, I guess I would consider myself a specialist of generalists. I would consider myself, you know, in that top category of people that are generalists that can communicate with various specialists. Yeah. I mean, I, the way this manifests in the world of entrepreneurship and productivity is the person listening right now, that's a business person that doesn't have the communication skills to convince a developer to build their app. So what do they do? They say, I'm going to learn. They spend all their time on Code Academy, right? Which is the stupidest thing. Knowing it a little bit is fine, but going all in like that, you should attack your, your poor communication skills Instead of trying to say, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't convince the developer to join me. Let me go learn how to develop myself. Otherwise, you're going to approach every problem in life that way. Does that make sense, Ari? Yeah, absolutely. 
but there is value, I feel, to not to go into a code academy, not to be the person to do the coding, but to learn the basics so that you can communicate with a developer that you, after you built your communication skills up, can hire to build the app. I agree with that, but most humans aren't that disciplined. They start getting into the development and then they keep doing it, right? They keep fighting and they toil for you know months and or hours and hours and months and months and months. They never then say, okay, I know enough. Let me go back to a 10,000 foot level. Let me use less doing's Trello board, right? And try and figure out how to write up a Trello card that helps them find me the developer I need. Uh, that's the thing. It's a discipline of like understanding like how to go in to understand the language, but then how to pull yourself back out of that specialty to then figure and then find the specialists to motivate. So all right, to go back to your question about like how I like set the building blocks for these things, that's kind of how I do it, right? So the first thing that I, I do and I have no shame in doing it is saying the, it's so critical and it's so, so saying these things publicly over and over. I have 100% brainwashed myself that these things are going to happen. I mean, no doubt. I mean, I'm, it's just, it's going to happen in my brain. And I think that's the first step in any kind of success is you have to brainwash yourself first. And if you don't believe in yourself, you cannot convince anybody else. Well, Tony Robbins is a big believer in that. What's the word for that, Ari? It's like con contagnations or something? Being in a state, I think, is a big part of it. But yeah, I forgot the word. I There's know a word. Like, Tony would like put flashcards all around his house with uh, like phrases to pump him up and did it for years and brainwashed himself, basically. It's, it's yeah, really, like you can do it or like you're, you're a winner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's really important. And then what happens is when you start putting these bold, audacious things out, two things happen, Nick. Either people, either people say, Nathan, you're full of crap, and they become your enemies, which is perfect. It's, I mean, enemies are a gorgeous, beautiful thing. Or they fall in love with you and they start falling, you know, they're going, oh my gosh, I want to be like Nathan, or I want to help Nathan get there. Or, or I ran a hedge fund, let me help Nathan do it, right? So either way, either, all that's important is you force a reaction on people. They either love you or they hate you after you're putting these bold, audacious things out. Because guess what? Howard Stern made a lot of money from people that hate him, right? <laughs> people that hate still listen into your podcast. That still drives sponsor revenue. People who hate you will still attack you and drive you free press. It's beautiful. You need that. So um, that's why I do that. I mean, that, that is the first building block in any big goal that I have is to convince myself, brainwash myself first, put a little plan together about what I need to do day by day to reach it, and then say it publicly as loud and proud as possible. And, and that's great. And obviously, it's worked really well for you. Well, most of the times it has, you're going to see something come out in the next few days uh, that I'm actually not happy this is happening. Uh, and you know what? You know what? Actually, maybe I'll trump their story. Uh, so entrepreneur.com. I, I put out a big, big offer to buy Success Magazine recently. It was a $5 million LOI. And I was lazy. I didn't want to go through the work of trying to find you know, the CEO of Success Magazine, all this stuff. So what I just did is I, is I tried to use... I planted these stories in the media, right? With a copy of the LOI, the real LOI, right? Letter of intent. And, and I was going to try and use that to force Success Magazine to sell to me at that price, right? From all the pressure. And they threatened me with all kinds. I mean, it was very, very fun. I mean, I was like bouncing off my walls. I'm like, oh my God, they're just starting to sue. This is fantastic. This is wonderful. And what happened though, is the deal ultimately fell through. So the problem was all these outlets wrote, you know, Nathan Latka, host of the Top Entrepreneurs podcast on iTunes, has offered $5 million to acquire Success Magazine. Well, the story Entrepreneurs now writing is Nathan Latka failed. Here's what he's doing next, right? Where so, did you come up with the price of $5 million? What were you basing that off of? And why also, Success Magazine, by the way? So, okay, a few things. Let me talk about why Success first, and I'll talk about price. 
if you go to success.com, right, which by the way, me saying their name everywhere is driving them so much free traffic, they should be paying me something. But go to success.com. Their online site is unbelievable. It's like in the dinosaur ages. Stuart and that team has given no love or care for that site. And when you look at the actual data, it's only getting about 2 million monthly uniques. Uh, again, monthly unique uh, visitors. When you look at Fast Company and Inc., these guys are doing 8, 9, 10 million. Forbes is doing 28 million monthly uniques. So success.com is just out of it. They're still selling CDs. Click their products at the top of success. They're selling Jim Rohn CDs. Who the hell buys CDs anymore? Nobody. So they're, they're just, they're, my point is, it has a, it's a beautiful brand that I grew up on that I read, but they are sorely lacking in something I'm really good at, which is digital and digital marketing, right? So that's what attracted me to it. And frankly, being totally honest, like I don't have the funds to go spend 300 million to buy Forbes, right? And I don't really like buying companies that are in first place. I like buying the ones that are in third or fourth place so that when everyone goes, wow, Nathan took over this dilapidated magazine and five years from now when it's number one, guess what? I want the credit. I mean, I want my team and me to have the credit. And I think that's a good thing. It creates momentum. So that's why Success Magazine, the price, uh, 5 million, uh, that was really based off a ratio of what Joe Mansueto paid for Fast Company and Inc. A couple of years ago, he bought them both for $35 million bucks, And he paid about, uh, what was the ratio? I'm going to get this wrong. And those two outlets together had about $17 million monthly uniques. And I just did a little bit of division. So if he paid $35 million for $17 million uniques, I was willing to pay $5 million for $2 million uniques. So that's really interesting. Um, and... It's funny because I was so I was interviewed for uh, for Success Magazine, and the way it came out was as a CD insert in the magazine. I always thought that was funny. It's like the what are they thinking? I mean, the problem is here's the problem. Stuart Johnson is a brilliant man. He's the CEO of Success Partners, right? He owns Success Magazine. He makes all of his money via his agency model called Success Partners. So he 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 basically has two golden geese the agency and the magazine. And the agency keeps laying golden eggs. Why would he put any resources on the magazine? He doesn't because he makes more money doing the agency stuff. And it just pains me to see what was once a beacon of entrepreneurship and success, ironically, failing. I mean, getting its butt kicked by these other guys. I, I think, am one of the only people that can really bring it back from where it currently is to the number one spot above Forbes, above a lot of these guys. It would be tough, but we would do it. So instead of buying the whole magazine, what about just like approaching this? Well, first of all, two things. One, why, why not just to be like approaching the CEO to be an investor or um, rather than taking or an advisor or an advisor? And then second, um, did you ever if, if you wanted to get the CEO's contact info, did you post it as a task to a virtual assistant? <laughs> I did not post it. I did not post it. I should have. But honestly, Nick, I didn't want it. Like I wanted to do what I did, which yeah, was yeah. you wanted to cause a little bit of uh, absolutely on the water. Totally. I mean, you know, and I had here's what happened when I did that. Ex media executives at Success. Many of you guys probably know the guy. I mean, the Success guy. We all know who he is. I won't name his name, but we all know his name. He recently left Success. Those people reached out to me personally just by putting this article out there. And guess what? Now they're all going to be advising me on what I will be buying. Success said no. So I'm buying something like way bigger than success and I'm going to beat success. And guess what? All these people that used to be at success are now advising me because I used kind of the bait of that media article and they all reached out to me and now we have amazing relationships. Why, why buy one? Why don't you just build your own? Um, I, think you could, exactly what I think you could build your own. <laughs> I think you could build your own. Um, I mean, there's some really successful people that have built their own. The only thing I would be buying if I was buying an old media brand would be the name. And there's very few, right? There's like Success, Fast Company, Inc., 
you know, business week, et cetera. Um, what I am buying, which will, you know, this magazine that this article entrepreneurs gonna be putting out, um, says and links to the thing that I'm buying instead, which is something that nobody knows about, but it gets a lot of uniques and I will rebrand that as my own titled kind of content and magazine. And so I will, and essentially be building from scratch. Now, one of the things you said there was that you want to buy companies that are in third or fourth place and have your team get the credit for bringing it to number one. What does your team look like? So right now it's actually a combination, right? So I, I actually, I mean, and you know, you people can probably tell I'm a direct guy, so I don't, I don't blow smoke up people's asses, but I actually really don't like humans to be quite frank with you. I hate working with people. I mean, if I could be by myself the rest of my life and just get stuff done, I would do that but you have to work with people. So one of the ways that this really works well for me is I use what you guys have set up. You know, I guess the link people go to lessdoing.com, but it's just great because when I wake up this morning and I go, okay, I think I want, here's an example. I think I want to buy something in the Chrome extension space and I need somebody to go in and get all the emails of the Chrome extension developers. I could spend four or five hours doing that or I can go create a Trello ticket through less doing and have your people do it and I pay some great price per hour, right? What I love about it is I don't have to really talk to the human doing it very much. I, I have to articulate the task very clearly. That's key. But then I just sit back and get what I want. That helps me leverage my time. So that's, that's I mean, that is a critical part of my team. When you look at my total kind of headcount expenses per month, I would say I'm spending right now, you know, 30% of my total spend per month on outsourced things through what you guys have built. So awesome job there. The other expenses, there's a lot of money I'm putting out right now, call it, you know, five, 10 grand per month to a developer that's working with me. He's in China, which I love because we have to be efficient. See him and I are only awake at the same times for about two hours a day. So it's beautiful. You can't distract each other during each other's workday because the other one's sleeping. So we're very efficient. And then the other one, I'm looking at making a hire here in Austin, who's kind of going to oversee all this, who is a developer at, currently at Oracle, um, very high up at Oracle, uh, that I will pick off. And he will kind of oversee the entire operation. So I don't have any full-time people right now. I have less doing. I have this outsourced gentleman in China, and I'm currently kind of interviewing across Austin. Yeah, we have we have, one of our developers is in China too, and um, there's pros and cons, obviously, with the time zone difference. But it's pretty it's a pretty cool thing to wake up in the morning and then like see everything that happened while you were sleeping. Nick, it's the be- It's I'm so glad you brought that up. It's the best alarm. Like yeah. the second my consciousness kicks in the morning, I jump up and I go, "What did he shimming? His name's he shimming. What did he put? What did he put in Bitbucket this morning? That I can release to my people, right?" I'm like, "It's the best. It's like Christmas every morning." Yeah, exactly. And then you spend like the first couple of hours of the day, like just checking what they did and making sure it's good. And then you could be done for the day if you wanted to be, or you move forward and you do some other stuff. That's right. Um, Starting off with a win. Have you, have you tried using us for development? I mean, we have a team of really good developers that you could be using through us. Uh, so I'll be totally honest. I am being courted by about four or five different people right now in terms of development. So Upwork.com wants to sponsor the show, the podcast. They really want me using them. TopTow has reached out. They really want me using them and they want to sponsor my podcast. Um, I already use you guys on a lot of different tasks. I haven't jumped in and tried you for development yet. Um, so, so no, I mean, I will, so I don't have a good answer, Nick, to that question. I, ha- I haven't yet, but who knows? Maybe I will. Yeah, I mean, we, we have... We, we, we use, we've used all of those places and some people have moved from those platforms over to ours or, 
Well, so pitch whatever, me, pitch but, me. Why, why, would I, why would I add another middleman to the equation instead of just working directly with Topstool or Upwork? Well, it's, it's, well, not, it's the same. Like you is a little more savvy than the typical bear, but a lot of people, they, you know, they, just because they can go to Upwork and get five developers doesn't mean that they know how to work with them or ones that are qualified versus not. Well, I mean, it's, it's, the, you have, it's the same number of steps to go through Upwork to then get a developer as it was to go to less doing to get a developer, right? It's still, you're still two steps away from the developer in either way. Yeah. It's just a matter of preference. But, you know, we, we have a really, really extensive hiring process. Well, maybe I'll put a project through you guys. I have a bunch of development projects. Maybe I'll put my next project through you guys. Yeah, we'll yeah. see how it goes. Yeah. Give us a try. Yeah. And, yeah. and so what are, so you you know, what are a lot of these, like what kinds of projects are there? since you don't have an active company that you're doing this with right now, like what, what are some of these projects that you have on your plate? Well, I, I, I don't know if I showed you guys this when I visited you guys and your, and your cute little one up there in, uh, in New York, Ari, but I, I, um, I just, Thank you. Yeah, I'm so sweet. Seriously. Um, I just made an acquisition, uh, of a company called uh, it's S N D L A T R.com send later. Uh, it's a Chrome extension. And oh, yeah. you showed us this. Did I show you that? Well, what I showed you was the top inbox, which is what I built from scratch. Okay. And then what I did was I wanted to juice growth faster. And I'm like, crap, there's all these guys that have extensions that do some of the same things. I wonder if I'm going to just go pick off some of them because they're probably developers in their basement. They don't even think about these tools anymore. And so I bought this one and, you know, we're now at 70,000 users. We're processing almost 250,000 cents letter later and reminder emails per day. Uh, it's just the scale's unbelievable. So I acquired that. And so the guy in China that I'm paying right now is like doing the, you know, making sure our Google like usage, like our API hits, like are, are, are not going to crash the servers and getting new code out and responding to bug fixes and things like that. And uh, are you charging money for that? Or how do you make money? No, I'm not right now. So this is kind of weird because I'm very capitalistic, but I'm also... Well, I don't know what the adjective would be to describe, but one thing I've learned, even with my podcast, whoever can wait the longest to get paid wins. I mean, maybe you guys can challenge me on that somewhere, but generally speaking, if you can launch an exact same product as your competitor and stay free longer or cheaper longer, you're going to win. And the reason I got this actually strategy from Titan, which was uh, Rockefeller's biography. And, and he, that's what he did with steel. I mean, that's what he did with railroads. That's what he, anytime someone competed with him, he would drop the price. He would take a hit to his balance sheet, but it would just drive the competitor into bankruptcy. So what I'm doing, huh? Yeah, it's Walmart. Totally. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to keep this thing Nick free as long as possible, but this might be valuable to your audience. Actually, here's what I'm doing in terms of pricing. Um, I don't want all these ratings and review sites to change and say, you know, the top, you know, top 10 free productivity tools. I still need to be in those lists because it gets great traffic, right? But I need to make money. So what I'm going to do is we're setting up an algorithm where I gave my developer, I said, I only want to show a pricing pop-up to 3% of our user base. Go figure out what the top 3% of our user base is in terms of usage of the tool and only show them a pricing pop-up. Everybody else, the 97%, we're going to turn them into a marketing force for us by adding sent with sent later at the bottom of every email. And if they want to remove that, they can move to paid plan. But if they never want to remove it and they never they just want to keep using it, they will never know we offer a free plan. So at Backyard Barbecues, they'll still tell all their friends, go use this free tool, send later. So you have to, my point is I think focusing on what the key th thing is that a user has to do and how many times they have to do that, how frequently before they're willing to pay 
that's right where you should put your paywall. And so we're actively trying to figure that out. Interesting. I mean, we, I, it makes a lot of sense for, for, um, a product that has competition, I guess with, we didn't take that approach with the, with the virtual assistants because we, we kind of tried putting ourselves at the beginning in a different category than the rest. And by, by putting ourselves in a different category, we actually purposely wanted to, you know, charge more and pay our VAs more. So it was kind of like the opposite approach, but for what you're doing, it totally makes sense. And that strategy is so smart. Uh, people forget that you, pricing is sometimes your strongest marketing uh, kind of leverage, right? People always think you need to be the cheapest, uh, the fastest, and the best. And it's just wrong. I mean, there's something to be said to be the best and the most expensive. I mean, I've yeah. considered if I ever write a book, I want all the press to say, is this like the most expensive book ever written? And I'm going to list it for like 10 grand. You can't buy a copy unless it's 10 grand. I'll get so much press from that. If I sell no copies of the book, I still win. <laughs> Maybe we want Nathan to do the marketing for our book launch in October. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so how many companies are you involved with now? Well, here's what I'm doing. My overall, because you have to stay focused. Like you guys met me. I'm like a like squirrel, like rabbit, shiny object, right? You have to like have something focusing you. My focus is very simple. Consume as much mind share from business people and CEOs as possible. Right. So the reason I liked acquiring the send later tool is these are all like at Uber and at Google. Right. And at, uh, you know, uh, Apple email addresses using our tool. Right. So so I am slowly like, you know, picture their their day of these people, the CEOs and executives on a on a 12 hour time span. I'm picking off like minutes. Right. So I need to figure out where else are they spending their minutes in the day. If it's Trello, I need to acquire something in Trello. If it's an app, an iPhone app to sign documents. I need to acquire that, right? So I'm, I'm buying anything and building everything around acquiring the mind share of business people and entrepreneurs and CEOs. And the magazine success was another play into that. That's what they read. So that's kind of my focus, Ari. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So you ready for the last question, Nick? Yeah. Well, we like to always end with the top three tips that you have to be more effective and then you can interpret that however you want. Cool. Uh, this will be in a number one, uh, every Sunday, sit down, look at your things you have scheduled over the next week and cancel as many appointments as you possibly can. Uh, just that has saved me so much time. Um, and, and people won't get offended. They'll, they'll respect you more. So cancel as much as you can every Sunday night. Uh, number two, uh, like resist the urge when you're at a networking event to bring out your phone and show everyone your multicolored calendar about how busy you are. And remember, wealthy people have blank calendars. Uh, and the reason that works is because they've already accumulated knowledge so that when they're reading real-time information, they can react faster than the person that's worried about how to feed themselves tonight in their job. So keep your calendar blank so your, re your reaction speed goes up. That's how you make a lot of money quickly. Um, that, that's number two. Number three, I would always just say momentum is king and negatives actually drive momentum as well. Like this article that's about to come out, you know, that entrepreneur is about to release. And by the way, I'll hit them hard when it comes out. It'll be great. I mean, it's going to be like a, a great show, but, uh, momentum is always king. So you have to always figure out a way to manufacture your own momentum. So again, number one, clear a calendar every Sunday. Number two, remember wealthy people have blank calendars so they can react in the moment. And number three, Again, try and make sure to manage your momentum. That's great. And where can people find more information about you? Or is there any place that they should be looking at? Yeah, I mean, the best place would be, so the podcast, I mean, what, what do you, I think, I forget if you guys give me your feedback on it, but 
I mean, it's, it's a hard hitting podcast that I do. It's all business numbers. I don't give a darn about the guests. I mean, if the guest and I are enemies at the end, fine. As long as they give me the data, like their revenue, their equity splits, their valuations, as long as they give me that. So the audience wins, I win. So that, that podcast is my podcast called the, the top entrepreneurs. It's an orange logo. You can search on iTunes now. It's a great, great podcast, by the way. You like, do you like it? Just what the numbers aspect of it? I like your format. You know, it's very to the point. And uh, I liked our talk when, when I was on it. Yeah. Look, some people I piss off and we end up yelling and screaming, but what the hell? You got to do what you got to do. So. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Nathan. Thanks, guys.